0: Welcome, everyone, to the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where garden nerds from around the world talk shop, share stories, and offer their favorite tip. I'm your host, Christy Wilhelmy. My guest this week is Jill Reagan, author of the new book, The Tiny But Mighty Farm. It's about cultivating high yields and self sufficiency from a home farm. Jill is the head grower of Whispering Willow Farm in Central Arkansas, where she and her husband and children grow food for themselves and for a CSA. Jill, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited to chat with you guys today.
0: Yeah. So let's start with where you are, because I don't think I've had anyone on the podcast who's in Arkansas before. Uh, let's talk about this. What's the scale of your farm? Bring our listeners along for an overview tour of Whispering Willow Farms.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. I was on a radio show in New Jersey and they were like, This is the first time we've ever talked to someone from Arkansas. <laughs> but they had similar questions. Uh, yeah, so I'm in zone 7B. And we live on 4.3 acres, but the tricky thing about our property is that we're on a ridge. And so we have massive boulders. And so really kind of the whole outskirts of our farm are set up in these different paddocks where we rotate our animals and we have to heavily seed these with grasses. Um, That's something my husband spends a lot of time doing. And then kind of in the center of our farm, when you pull into our property, Uh, To the right, there's a really pretty cottage garden, you know, with a glass greenhouse where we do a lot of our. Uh, perennial herbs we have blackberries our asparagus and then from there you walk into uh, what we reference as the raised bed garden and so these were raised beds that were established when we bought our farm it's fenced in it's beautiful Uh, we do most of our flower production uh, in that raised bed this year we will have it strictly for dahlias which seems wild to have you know 10,000 square feet of dahlias growing And then in the back part of our property, we have our prop house, which is the greenhouse we're starting our seedlings in. We have our 20 by 50 high tunnel uh, that we do production. We're actually building right now a 20 by 60 high tunnel for our CSA. And then we have in-ground space where we do sunflower production. So we kind of are modeling several different Uh, styles of gardening on our farm Uh, for the tunnel that we're building we are just bringing in dirt and topsoil to be able to uh, grow in ground and our existing high tunnel uh, has raised beds because it was here when we bought our property
0: wow that's a lot to manage and (laughs) so you have all of these high tunnels and raised beds but what animals are going on there too if any
1: Yeah, so uh, we will rotate our chickens for our in-ground space, um, but we have got sheep, we have pigs, and we have goats, (laughs) and so really we're rotating our sheep and our goat. Our chickens, you know, will move and put in a movable uh, chicken tractor or something when we're trying to get uh, some of that in-ground space ready. Our pigs stay at the back part of our property, so we kind of have the whole outskirts lined with animals, and then the inside is where we're doing, it's actually like less than an acre of growing space for food and flowers which is um you know kind of wild because we're able to pack out so much on that acre uh, but the rest just isn't conducive to growing food (laughs) and flowers super rocky and so we just try to implement you know sowing as much grass as we can for our animals and just keep rotating them
0: right and you obviously get some rain and snow where you are is that right
1: Yeah, we are currently, today was the first day we've wandered out of our house. We have been iced in. And what happens here in Arkansas is we have the most mild winters. I mean, last week I was in Birkenstocks in a tank top and it was in the 70s. So that's very, very standard. And then our winter hits February, you know, from like mid-February into February when you are just like, no, spring's coming to me every year, that's when we get our crazy snowstorms or ice storms. Um, and we're just like, come on. So (laughs) otherwise it's pretty mild. Our winters are mild until February. And then it's just all bets are off. You never know what to expect. And right now, you know, we've been iced in all week. So.
0: Got it. You have a philosophy that you express in, in your book, or I should say an approach that you started with when you got the property, uh, for managing that space that you have. Has your philosophy or strategy changed in any way today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're continuously adapting. You know, the farm that we came from was a hobby farm. um, And we realized there that we wanted to scale. We just weren't really in a place to do that. And when we bought our farm now, we bought it from friends of ours. So that was great. You know, it was a place we were familiar with. It was an existing farm, but they set the farm up for uh, content creation, right? I mean, they grew food, but why they put some of the systems in place were totally different from why we needed these systems in place. And so we knew we immediately wanted to come in and automate things um, because of our needs and just also the volume that we were growing. And I found that, that that's actually been uh, a little challenging <laughs> to mm. automate systems that have already been put in place. And so you kind of have to do a little bit of backtracking to figure out, well, what is really going to work for me? Um, and so we we kind of hit the ground running. We implemented a lot of those things, drip irrigation, frost free hydrants, and all the greenhouses, You know, just eliminating our time from walking to one part of the property to the other part of the property. And so we're still doing that with the new greenhouse that we're building. We are stacking it right in front of our existing ones between the high tunnels and the greenhouse that we do all of our seeding in. We're putting a pack and wash station so that we can harvest, immediately take it to the pack and wash station, wash it. We're also putting our walk-in cooler there so it goes from... Harvest, wash, cooled, and stored. And so we are still definitely implementing those new systems just to cut our time down and be as efficient as we can because there's not very many of us. <laughs> you know and so we have to definitely think smarter um and work smarter, not harder for sure,
0: yeah. and it sounds like you've learned a lot along the way for sure. We have,
1: we have and now I'm curious, are you using biointensive
0: methods to produce a lot in that one acre space that you use for the for the CSA or for growing
1: food, I should say? So what do you mean like biointensive?
0: Oh, uh, sorry. I should preface that by saying biointensive method is really close proximity planting. Um, I talk about it a lot here on this podcast because I use it myself. Methods like square foot gardening and John Jevons, uh, how to grow more vegetables than you ever thought possible on less land than you can imagine. It's the whole system of planting hexagonally and and things that are um, more closely planted together because you're stewarding the soil to be able to support that how how do you approach getting as much as you can out of the land that you've got
1: yeah so that's funny I've actually never heard of that term before oh. I've been for over a decade and I guess I'm just like <laughs> that was a new one to me so that's, that's cool. right um, yeah, so we don't really follow any sort of square foot gardening. Uh, we do a lot of market style, right? So I guess when I'm referencing things, I'm pulling that, you know, jargon from a lot of market gardeners. Mm-hmm. So we plant densely. And I always tell my audience too, it's like the back of the seed packet. I mean, that's an idea, but we're always planting way closer and really how we kind of max out our space. Yeah, it's planting densely, but it's really Succession sowing. You know, that's how we are able to grow on such a small plot of land is just to continuously have crops in the greenhouse ready to be transplanted, ones that are currently growing. That way, when we're harvesting, we're immediately replanting. And so we're never without food. And so that's really how I think we're able to do it is that we just have such a good system on the front end that we know what each piece of land is designated for all the guess words really taken out of it and so it's maybe not the square foot approach or anything like that it's just like food out food in food, right. out, food in.
0: <laughs> that's a key principle of biodynamics actually is the the biodynamic folks the french intensive sorry i'm mixing up my because they're kind of used those two terms are used synonymously now but french intensive was all about getting as many successive crops out of the same spot as you could in a season so you're doing that that's good What advice do you have for folks who want to start a market garden or a CSA themselves and perhaps maybe some mistakes you've learned from along the way?
1: Yeah, well, I've made plenty of mistakes because I am such a free spirit, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, that's such a great quality—you just go with the flow." But then I realized when I was starting a business, that's a horrible quality to have—not being organized, not staying on schedule. Uh, those are those are some big flaws in trying to be successful. And so before I would just you know plant what I feel, I'd try to sell it after I'd grown it, and I learned real quick like that is not how you become successful. And so I think my biggest advice, if you're wanting to start, you know, market garden or create your own CSA or sell wholesale to restaurant chefs, et cetera, is you have to have a customer before you have a product. And so one, you know, people ask, would you encourage an amateur to grow to sell? Uh, Absolutely not, because you don't know, you know, what product you have to sell. And also, you don't really want to, like, waste your opportunity to work with someone. Not saying that you're not capable, but you do have to kind of have that experience under your belt especially if you're going to a restaurant. So we're partnering with a restaurant this year and I have to be able to, you know, tell them, hey, every single week I can provide you with X amount of a Nova mix, right? And then this is what I'm going to yield. This is my price per yield. This is what your cost is. Like you have to know those things and you don't know those things if you're just beginning because you're just figuring out how do you grow lettuce in your environment, you know? And so make sure that you know your customer, Because CSA, you're going to yield way more, right? It's a direct-to-consumer versus if you're wanting to sell to restaurants, you have wholesale. So really, my encouragement would be read a lot of books, (laughs) listen to a lot of podcasts, really just invest in your knowledge. I actually talk about this in the book. It's the greatest thing you can do for yourself as a gardener is to invest in your knowledge because knowledge is power. And so then when you figure out the approach you want on your farm, If a CSA is the right model, or maybe you do want to sell wholesale, uh, you kind of have an idea of what to expect, the yields that you're going to have to, you know, deliver according to each of those skills. Then you have to find a customer and you have to find probably multiple customers because, you know, we're years into this and now we just have those, you know, same two accounts and we're providing and we've got this nice little jive going on. But in the beginning years, we were selling to a lot of different people, right? And so we really had to narrow that down and figure that out. And so I would just encourage everyone, research, have a plan, have a customer, (laughs) know your prices. I get asked that all the time. How do you know what to charge? I'm like, if you're asking that, you're probably not in a place where you should be selling right now. Because these are things that you should know the market, like the back of your hand, you know? And that just comes from experience.
0: Got it. Now, one thing I'm going back to something we talked about a little earlier, and that's succession planting. I am I've never been really good at it because in a small space, which I specialize in small space gardening, we end up having to plant the whole thing because that's what you know everyone wants a little bit of something. And so it's it's something that I've never been all that great at and you need to be good at it for a market garden. You just said that. You have a couple of charts in the book that help along with that. Can you talk about that, your process for a little bit, how you track it, how you plan it?
1: Yeah, so I'll be honest. Succession planting is one of those things that every year I dread, okay? (laughs) I am not a numbers person. Uh, That is not my strong suit at all, and it requires you to put pen to paper and to think, and so every year... My husband and I are getting these really intense debates and I'm like, I can't do math. Like, <laughs> This is so hard. So I will say, if you're listening to this and you're like, I've tried succession planning, I don't get it. It's not one of those things that just comes natural to a lot of people. And so I do have a chart uh, in the book. I'm actually going to flip to it so I can see. One of the biggest resources for me, though, when I was figuring out how to determine succession planting was Johnny Seeds. Ah, so yes. Johnny Seeds it has literally taught me so much stuff because you can go in and you can plug in your first fall frost, you know, you can plug in all this stuff and it will help you build it out. And so that is what my spreadsheet is modeled off of. And that is how I learned how to succession plant. What I do too is just, you know, it really is dependent on your zone. So I'm in zone seven B so I can get several, I mean, I can get three rounds of green beans, you know what I mean? And so You're going to be limited on how much you can succession sow depending on the you know zone that you're in unless you're growing um under a tunnel and some sort of culture protection um and another resource that i just recently used and it's these farmers who created this and you go in and you put your zone and it tells you your estimated frost and it literally has almost everything from the johnny's website so you can go in and you can choose a lettuce and you can choose a mirror lettuce And you can say, all right, I want to succession plant this. It's going to tell you if it's a cool season, if it's a warm season, how many days to maturity, how many days to transplant. And the cool thing about it, too, is it puts this on a spreadsheet for me. And so this is what I'm currently using. And it will say, all right, if you're wanting to seed this and you want to succession plant it, at this day, you need to be prepping your beds this day, you need to be seeding. This day, you need to be transplanting. And it continues the succession even to tell me when I need to be getting my beds ready for when I transplant this out. One thing I like to, you know, explain to people, though, is for us, you know, if we're growing lettuce right now, it's going to take 60 days to mature. Well, in the dead of winter, that 60 days goes to a 25 day date of maturity and so even though you can have these succession you know planting spreadsheets like I have in my book or like seed time offer you're still going to have to know your zone and your elements to know that those are going to change based off the weather conditions based off if you're growing in a high tunnel also how you're amending your soil and things like that that's why it's always stating on that spreadsheet that you need to be prepping your bed you're adding all those prebiotics you know back into your soil that way your new crop's being you know rejuvenated with the bolt of of all those nutrients and so I would really recommend just playing around with it the whole idea though of succession planting is that you are starting seeds before your first round is done that way when you pull those out you immediately already have a transplant in its place so this doesn't You can do it with direct seeding, but it's not as efficient, especially if you're looking at a market garden approach Uh, you want to have this transplant started in the greenhouse or inside that way you're immediately removing food, (laughs) planting food.
0: Right. And you're using plug trays to do that. You're using smallest, the smallest possible little start.
1: Yes. So we're doing a lot of soil blockings. Uh, we usually like with our lettuce, we'll start with the mini 20, um, which is super small, you know, and because it's just, we're starting a lot of seed every single week. You know, I just placed my seed order for lettuce and it was 5,000 seeds and that won't even get through. Yeah. So it's like We're growing a lot and we yeah, do it in a small space. We only have one, like 14 foot, you know, prop house. And so we're doing a lot of mini blocks and directly going from there um, out into the field and just making sure that we're watering appropriately so that they all stay established and none of them die off.
0: That's great. And I like the idea of blocking soil instead of using plastic trays because you don't, the plastic trays can be difficult to work with sometimes plus they're plastic. So
1: Yeah, and I think that just depends. Like all of the plastic trays we do have come from Bootstrap Farmer and they last forever. So that's another thing is like we use the 72 cell uh, air pruning trays and we do this for most of our flowers and it mimics what a soil block would as far as it's got these high slits on it. Um, And, you know, for someone who doesn't want to have to continuously pot up because that is the downfall of having to soil block, I think it's a good option. And again, it's like if you take care of your stuff, it'll last, but if you buy the cheapest stuff, you're going to, That's what it's going to produce. So I always like to tell people, if you need to invest, just invest in the right equipment and the tools up front, take care of them, and you'll have them forever.
0: That is true. Now, you have a whole chapter on high tunnels and greenhouses and other growing environments that are protected. Do you have a favorite that you use on your farm?
1: Yeah, our high tunnels are by far the best things we have. We don't actually have any caterpillar tunnels, which are what a lot of market farmers reuse because they're movable. Um, but being in central Arkansas, you know, we have mild winters, but we have crazy springs. And so we get tornadoes here every year. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. I mean, every, every year, matter of fact, my poor little greenhouse looks like someone took a shotgun to it because this past spring we had a tornado that came through and the tornado missed us, but we had a softball sized hill that just ruined <laughs> my tunnel. And so, you know, for us, these are all things you have to consider when you're putting up a structure. So we knew with structures, ours needed to be anchored in the ground. A cat tunnel is nice because it's easily moved, but that's something that could be, you know, a negative thing because a big gust of wind or a tornado can blow our tunnel around. Um, And so our high tunnel is just super versatile because I can grow in it year round. And not only can I grow in it year round, it's going to grow two to three times faster than what my crops outside are. Which is why we limit and have most of our outside production being flowers and a lot of our under um, you know, protection things are vegetables because it's just going to produce so much better.
0: Right. It's uh, I wish I had room for one. Honestly, someday I will get my two acres and I will have a high tunnel.
1: <laughs> I mean, you would just be so surprised. I, you don't realize how much you need one and like how much food. You can mm-hmm. produce until you have it, and then when you have it, it's like there's no way I could go back.
0: <laughs> yeah, and do you have a particular brand or company that you work with for your for your supplies, high tunnels yes. and such?
1: Uh, Bootstrap Farmer is who we got. Yeah, we have the Gothic Tunnel, and it's really nice because you've got your your vents and the roll up sides and the double doors and it's just you can kind of have it as basic or as tricked out as you like but one of my (laughs) favorite things about bootstrap is that they ship it to you and then they give you all the video resources on how to put it up and install it yourself. And so I know like with our, with our little prop house, we had to pay someone to install it because we didn't know what we were doing. And so with this, it's like step by step, everything you need, we can install it ourselves, which ends up saving you quite a bit of money. You'd be surprised. I mean, those are a couple thousand dollars installation. And so if you know how to do it yourself, then you're just cutting down your cost. Um, and so we're excited to put this one. I'm actually going next week to Texas to bend the pipe uh, for my tunnel. So that's cool. I'm going to go help make it and then bring it back home. Oh, how cool.
0: That is yeah. exciting. I, <laughs> that's a field trip. You're going to document that on your channel, aren't oh, you? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <For
0: sure. laughs> nice. Well, it is tip time. Do you have a favorite tip you'd like to share with the Garden nerd audience?
1: Yeah, so something that we do on our farm that I think maybe most people just don't think about. When I say automate, you know, a lot of different things probably come to mind. But my best tip would be automate as many things as you can. And also some of these just small automations, you would be surprised. So for instance, we have all of our heat mats set up on a timer and the timer is set to a temperature. And so when our greenhouse reaches a certain temperature, it alarms that timer and it automatically shuts off our heat mats. And then when the greenhouse drops below a temperature, that timer kicks back on and it turns our heat mats on. We also have these automated misters that are hanging from the top of our greenhouses and they go off twice a day to water all of our seedlings. And just by doing that, has saved us so much time having to walk back and forth like the tunnels on the back part of our property you know so walking all the way back there several times a day what if we're gone and the greenhouse ends up getting to 90 to 100 degrees are you burning your little seedlings (laughs) You know, so those are just a couple simple things that really didn't cost a lot that we were able to automate and it saved us so much time we were able you know Be gone for a week, a weekend. Things in our greenhouse were still taken care of and no one had to be on the farm to babysit those. And so there's a lot of things you can do even if you're growing inside. You can get those timers for your heat mats and set them up even for your lights that way they're automatically coming on and off. And really you're just watering them, you know, if you're inside and then that's it. And that takes a lot of responsibility off of you, um, during a really hectic season, at least for us, seed starting season is always really crazy. <laughs> yeah, So yeah. we need as many efficient systems as we can have.
0: Yeah. And I, I do use a timer for my seed seed starting trays. Uh, the grow lights are on, uh, a battery operated. No, it's not battery. It's one of those, uh, clock timers that you put yeah. for vacation watering like or vacation anything when you want a lamp to come on while you're gone uh, yeah. and it goes on and off you know you can set the on and off time for 12 to 16 hours a day and and it it's you're like you said you just have to water that's all you have to do yeah. it makes things better well that's a great tip Jill thank you so much and thank you for being on the gardener tip of the week podcast
1: yeah absolutely thanks for having me this is fun
0: how do people find you
1: yeah, so we are Whispering Willow Farm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, we have an online storefront where we partner with a lot of other small business owners. Little passion project we have, and that is the WhisperingWillowFarm.com.
0: All right, garden nerds, you'll find a link to Jill's website this week at gardennerd.com. We'll also post links to Whispering Willow Farm social media feeds so you can follow what's going on there. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you stream. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at gardennerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff at Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under gardennerd1, on Facebook as gardennerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening.